In this audio recording, we're going to hear a conversation between Christina Kimiso, author of Book 4, and Peter Cale, fellow and tutor in philosophy at St Peter's College, Oxford, about Hume's theory of induction. Peter, I would like to ask you, why do we still read Hume's work? I think Hume is a fascinating philosopher because he's concerned with what he calls in the, in the inquiry the whimsical condition of humankind. One way to understand what is meant by that is that Hume recognises that we are part of the natural world and in many sense we're just like animals and that's what his so-called naturalism is. And on the other hand he recognises that we are reasoning creatures who seek to try and understand the fundamentals of the universe, so we're uh, different from dogs in that respect. What's whimsical about this, though, he thinks, is that our capacities are just like the animals, which means that it's impossible for us really ever to penetrate the nature of the world, and yet we have this desire. So unlike Aristotle, who claimed that the desire to know is an indication that we can actually do it, Hume thinks we have a desire to know that we're frustrated about and that we need to come to terms with it. So do you think this is still very important and relevant to I think us? It's, I think it's, it's a wonderful philosophical attitude that quite often uh, is not given its due, but uh, Hume is the best exemplar of, and other philosophers have followed suit. Of course, Hume is very important for his criticism of induction, and he's still remembered uh, for that. Why is it so? Why, why did he write so long about induction, criticising it, and or explaining what it was? Well, let me explain what the problem of induction that is associated with Hume is first, and then later on I'll, I'll try and draw out one of the ramifications of it, or the, the implications of it. Typically, we think what we've seen happen in the past is a good guide to what happens in the future. It's not infallible, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it's reasonable. So here's an example. Um, if you see, uh, a, if you've had experiences of bees, uh, stings penetrating your skin, it's been followed by pain. So next time you see a bee sting penetrating someone's skin, you immediately think pain will follow. And we think that that's a kind of sensible, rational thing to expect. Another example of a, a fairly basic induction we have is that um, every time I take paracetamol, it relieves the fever I've had. Uh, my experience of that is basically every time I've... In the past, every time I've, I've had a, a paracetamol, it's relieved the fever. So here I take another one and I have the expectation that it will do so. But now, that belief is premised on the idea that the future, quite generally, or what happens in the future, quite generally, resembles what has happened in the past, quite generally. But now, how do we know that the future will resemble the past? It's not, as it were, a self-evident truth, because we can always imagine uh, that the course of the world will change radically tomorrow. So we might say, look, we've observed in the past that the future has resembled the past. And so it's rational to think that tomorrow the future again will resemble the past. But of course, that's just assuming the point at question, namely it's a sensible thing to think, namely the future will resemble the past. So what conclusion should we draw from that? 
Hume thinks? Well, what Hume thinks and what other people have drawn are two very different things. So a number of people have drawn the conclusion that human beings are completely irrational and that although we like to think of ourselves as inferring the, uh, what will happen from what has happened as a perfectly sensible, rational thing to do, it's just as bad as peering at the tea leaves in the bottom of a cup or uh, um, looking at chicken entrails. And that Hume's conclusion is a radical form of scepticism that says that we have no justification for how we think. A slightly different way of taking this is that Hume is trying to show that the processes that we use to think about how the future will occur are not any different in kind from those that are operative in the rest of nature. So, for example, uh, my dog has expectations that he's, po- uh, he's formed from past experience. So when he sees a can of a particular shape, he starts salivating and jumping up and down and is very excited. And he's forming a basic kind of inference about what will happen in the future on the basis of what he's seen happening in the past. And Hume's conclusion here is not that, as it were, this is a bad thing to do. Instead, his conclusion is that the way that our mind operates is just the same as that of dogs or any other animals. Uh, And so there isn't any difference in kind between us and the rest of creation. So can you explain to me a bit more, from what you said, I understand that there's no rational proof that past instances of past events and future events um, would be similar. That's right. On the other hand, Hume thinks that it's a natural thing to rely on the past to have a guidance for the future. So how does he reconcile these two things? Can you repeat in explaining it? A bit more, maybe with some examples? Or? Well, I think, that, I think the, the main point is simply this. Uh, you, you could say that what Hume is saying is that uh, those kinds of forms of thought, the kind of general principle that we operate with, is something that's completely arbitrary and, and, and utterly irrational. But that's a claim not about... Uh, human beings, but that's a claim about logic per se. Instead, Hume is simply saying, look, this is what we rely on, and what it is that causes us to rely on that is no different from what causes the dog to rely on it. And what is this? It's simply something called custom or expectation. It's simply the way in which our minds gear themselves into the natural regularities that we have, and we simply acquire... Uh, habits of inference. But it's very, very important to notice that that's a claim about how human beings' minds operate, and not, which is not the same thing as saying that operating like that is in any way a bad or irrational or crazy thing to do. So can you explain to me um, the difference between what you say is not a bad thing, I understand, uh, but then you say also it's not an irrational thing. But I thought uh, that Hume said that is not based on reason. So how can we distinguish these two use of rational? Well, you could say irrational is to do, is to think something that you shouldn't, given certain other thoughts that you have. So if, for example, I think snow is cold, and I think this stuff is snow, for me then to infer from that that this stuff is not cold 
is somehow going against a principle of reason. But when Hume says that our inferences are not based on reason, he's not saying it's going against something that we otherwise acknowledge. He's just saying, look, the dog's inference is not based on reason. It's not that we grasp some principle that, that in virtue of which uh, we draw the inference. It's simply something that we do. And it works very well, I think, for everyday life. What about the sciences? Shouldn't we have something more um, secure than just habit? Shouldn't we have a rational proof, a logical proof that what we say in the science is actually true? Uh, I think we then return to what I call the whimsical condition. <laughs> Namely, we may, as philosophers really seek and strive and feel uncomfortable with the idea that fundamentally the way we're working is no different in kind. It's very different and complex in, in, uh, in degree from what operates with my dog. But fundamentally, we're no different in that kind. And of course, Hume is rather... Uh, Hume, we might say, is complacent, or some of us might say he's got the right kind of attitude, that that kind of quest for foundations is not something we'll ever get. Two centuries later, Karl Popper, the 20th century philosopher, argued against Hume uh, that induction should not be using the sciences. Who do you think is right? Well, I think Hume is right. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, 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 because, again, I think Popper drew from Hume a lesson that a lot of people have drawn, namely that what Hume is saying is that induction is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's what Hume is intending at all. He's saying that uh, induction is the principle of inference that we use all the time. It would be impossible for reason to justify reason, but uh, to say that simply it can't be justified for reason to move then that it's a bad thing is a step too far. But so do you agree also with Hume that we will never be able to justify induction in a logical way? Uh, I I wouldn't like to be so uh, so uh, confident to say that we'll never. Because this is an induction in itself. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think uh, Hume's claim that we could never justify it in that way seems to me to be quite uh, uh, a very, very plausible argument. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.